2: Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at ziviowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Hi, everybody. I'm thrilled to be partnering with Start Small, Think Big. You need to know about them. They help under-resourced entrepreneurs gain access to critical services they need to build sustainable small businesses that generate real wealth for themselves, their families, and their communities. They do this by engaging with a top-tier network of professional volunteers who provide free and high-quality legal, financial, and marketing support. Last year alone, their volunteer network provided 1,300 small businesses with pro bono support valued at $14-plus million. 95% of Start Small's businesses are women, minority, or under-resourced entrepreneurs. No other nonprofit organization in the country provides this kind of comprehensive support to the population. Start Small, Think Big has developed a page on their website called Shop Our Businesses, and this page features some of the businesses that they're supporting who are currently doing business online and need help now more than ever to support their businesses. So go to StartSmallThinkBig.org and help out. I'm here today with Ali Frank and Asha Humans, who are the debut co-authors of Tiny Imperfections, a novel. Allie has worked in education for 20 plus years in San Francisco and Seattle in both public and private schools as a teacher, college counselor, coach, and assistant head. She's the co-founder of the International Friends School. A graduate of Cornell and Stanford University, she currently lives in Seattle with her husband and two daughters. Asha has taught in public and private elementary schools for almost 20 years. A graduate of UC Berkeley, she lives with her husband and two sons in Seattle. Welcome Asha and Allie. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Absolutely, we're happy to be here. Thank you so much for having us. No, it's such a treat. I was telling you before I found your book, Tiny Imperfections, to be completely hilarious and great and just perfect, like pitch perfect. So it was really a really fun read. I'm happy to be talking to you.
0: Oh, we're so glad you like it. We find ourselves thinking of moments and referring to moments in the book, and cracking ourselves up still. So That's we're it. glad you, you like
1: do. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. So I mean, for a long time when we were writing it, we were hilarious to ourselves. In Starbucks over and over, and I think the baristas were like, who are those crazy ladies for a good solid year? Just <laughs> laughing themselves silly in the corner. And it's kind of nice that now a year and a half later when we're now working on other things, we're still thinking back to what we wrote. and We still find it humorous, so it's good that
2: we hope everyone finds if, it humorous. If you don't find it funny, chances are other people will not find true. it right? That's true. My, my husband, like, he's co-writing a tv show pilot whatever and they just he and his friend are on the phone just hysterically laughing he's like i'm working i'm like you are not working that is not (laughs) you cannot be having this much fun but it sounds like the two of you have that same thing
0: yes it's true we we start some (laughs) of our work sessions well every work session just checking in and about family things like that but inevitably end up laughing a whole lot before we even get down to it so
2: so let's back up what is tiny imperfections about please tell listeners
0: Tiny Imperfections is an intergenerational mother-daughter story. It's set against the cutthroat admission season of San Francisco's most prestigious private school. And the book addresses race and single parenting and dating at 40. And it's the perfect read to give to somebody. It comes out right before Mother's Day on May 5th. And it's great if you want to give the gift of laughter to someone in your life. And we hope they laugh their faces off. I always say that because that's what happens to me. My My,
1: my cheeks start to hurt from, from
0: laughing at a really good book. Kick your heels up and, and read this one.
1: Yeah, And we think it's a unique lens in looking at a school and looking at a private school because the intergenerational part is Aunt Viv, who's been the head cook at the school for 50 years. And then her niece, Josie, who she raised, who is an alumnus of the school and has returned and is the director of admissions at the school. And then Josie's daughter, Etta, who is now a senior at the school. So it's 50 years of these three women who are Black, who have lived through different generations in this very privileged, rarefied world and it, through humor, looks at what similarities they share with the community of which they've invested themselves professionally and educationally, but also how they're different, and that it is all about love with the family, but it's also love of the school community. For us, we've both been educators for over 20 years, and we love schools so very much, so In a way for us, this is our love letter to schools and our love letter to school communities because no other company is full of humans for whom the product is actually humans. And when you have that, it's just a whole lot of messiness, but a whole lot of love. And that's really why we wanted to write this. Do you think your schools are receiving this letter with a sense of humor?
0: (laughs) We hope so. And we hope that everybody remembers that it's fiction. And because we've had so many decades in not only public and private schools, but just organizations that work with children. I've worked in before and after school programs, different ways to serve kids. And this is a culmination of our experiences, even the characters themselves. I have an Aunt Viv, but this is not necessarily just her. It's a culmination of a lot of Black women in my life that have had an impact on me that have taught me to be a woman, taught me to be a kind person going through the world, and putting all those characteristics together to make somebody that hopefully looks like someone we all need in our lives. And the same is true for the people that work in the school in this Mm -hmm. story. They're all, I mean, we have thousands of stories about kids, parents, staff, administrators, and... We couldn't get them all just in one book, but we certainly hope we got a little bit of flavor from a bunch of people we've met over the years into this one.
2: And I love yeah. you keep saying you hope there's more to come for all these characters. So I, I feel like I, you have a vision of this whole series
0: of what's happening, right? It's already
2: <laughs> yes. in the works. Yeah,
0: We do have <laughs> a vision, yeah. We um, love our ladies. We do. We love our Bordelon ladies. And there's so much to explore in terms of what a school environment is as well. Mm-hmm. The characters that have come in and out of our lives. I mean, we've we've been part of hundreds of families. Being a teacher, it, it feels that way. So the stories you can bring out just of your own family list are there in the thousands. When you're part of that many families... There's just so many to choose from.
2: Especially when each year it changes. Yes. Like, that's great. You'll never run out of content, right? It's like, there's a reason It's like character. one of the only industries, yeah. really, where yeah. you can reliably know that all the people in your life will change every single year, right? Yes. It's
1: Crazy, Well, really. and just like Josie said in the book, you know, she's been working in Parachild Country Day for 13, 14 years, and there's still things in her year. She's like, well, never saw that one again. Yeah. And that is the beauty of working with families. It is also the amazing thing about working with kids because it's a constant state of surprise. And that's, well, I don't want to speak for you, Asha. Oh, but yes. I think sure, that's why sure, I've, sure. I always loved working in schools because every day was different. It's not, there's nothing that's on repeat. And even on a day where you think, oh, I'm getting up, I'm putting my pants on the same way to go to the same place to work. 15 minutes in, something surprises you. And that's, you know, again, that's part of our love letter to schools and why we've always loved schools. But I do want to say w- that we, you know, we want to make clear because people do always ask that there aren't any stories in our book that are like, oh, remember the time that blah, blah, blah happened? Like we took bits and pieces of so many parts of our lives and the multitude of schools we've been in and we created this this book. But, you know, our our characters are fiction and we love them for exactly that because we got to make them up
2: so you are not josie and low you did not meet in zumba class I mean, i'm mean, i kidding <laughs> yeah. we did
0: not meet in zumba no, <laughs> I, I, d- I know you don't yeah. resemble
2: those characters no. i mean i don't know you that well but i'm i'm thinking you'd
0: Yeah, for sure. We actually (laughs) met in doing admissions. Mm -hmm. I did admissions for a dozen years at the same school where Allie then came on board as my assistant head of school. And we were on the same admissions team. And my classroom was below Allie's office and the administrative offices. And we'd often meet in the kitchen and passing and on our way to somewhere, an admissions detail we had to, forgot, or, and say, gosh, did you did you see that one kid? Oh, man, he was so hilarious. Did
1: you see what he said? I mean. Oh, my God, did you see that massive booger he was trying to get up in the middle of his nose the whole time he was trying to do math <laughs> <Not> <laughs> at the same time? Four of them had to go
0: potty all at once. What was that? I mean, we found ourselves laughing about the kids, loving the kids we met, um hopefully laughing with and at the parents we met and their nervousness, because we've been there before, mm-hmm. sympathizing with them as well. But we also have the same sense of humor, yeah, you know, And we can see those tiny imperfections that are in our students and appreciate them instead of focusing only
1: on how to fix them. And we found a bond over that, yeah. I think the similar sense of humor is really what ultimately, because that was years before. We ended up writing this book together, but the similar sense of humor connected us once it was out of admission seasons, and then it was maybe over the summer, or then we went on to do other things at different places with different schools, but we always stayed connected when some story came up and, you know, we wanted to share with the other person because when you're laughing at something, you want to connect with the person who you know will find it funny too. And so that just always kept each of us in like our minds and hearts as then we end up here with a book that we've actually written. Which
2: Wait, when you were joking with each other in the back of your head where you're like, this is going in our book? Oh my, you have, you <laughs> have you say to say that, like, say that, like that all the time? in your kitchen what we used to say. <laughs>
0: All the time. I mean, I I wouldn't just tell Allie, but I'd go around going, oh, my gosh, this is going in my book someday. (laughs) Or to another teacher, I know you have a good story about, you know, that one kid. That one's got to go in my book, so don't forget it. I really consider myself a storyteller who writes. Mm -hmm. It's one of the talents of mine that I've enjoyed cultivating by working with small children, reading aloud to them and trying to convince them to continue to hold on to books their entire lives, including being read to. Mm -hmm. And I I managed to do it with my own up until, you know, at least middle school. But cultivating readers was one of my favorite parts of my job.
2: And tell me about how you brought your own sort of backgrounds and family experiences into it. Tell me about your dad, who went to the same school. Yes. Tell me about that and how you used that experience as fiction.
0: Well... My dad, T.J. Vassar, who in December, I believe, uh, 2012, was honored by President Obama with, he was gifted with uh, basketball at a fundraising dinner when he was on a stop in Seattle, Washington. And... My dad was so surprised. He came out of a room and said, Hey, is that TJ? And my dad thought, Oh, this is it. They found me out. The <laughs> <laughs> FBI knows about whatever that All thing the way was. The way <laughs> up here in the great white north <laughs> of Seattle Washington. They got found me. Me. But when the Secret Service tossed a ball to the president and he presented it to my dad and it said, TJ, lucky to have you on my team. Oh my uh, god. Barack Obama. One of the greatest gifts in his life before he passed was receiving that ball because I remember growing up him telling me that he didn't really think there would be a black president in his life, mm-hmm. but he was sure there would be one in my life. So for him to be able to see that was a great gift. And then to go on to meet the president was was amazing. But, yeah, he was the first African-American graduate of Lakeside School in Seattle, Washington. I'm the first, second generation my son is now the first third generation Black to graduate from Lake, Lakeside School, and it was one of many firsts for my dad. He went from clean-cut preppy schoolboy to Afro out protester in the span of one year, going to Harvard from Lakeside and convinced the school, as through protest and and demands, to create an Afro American Studies program. Huh. And he was among the first graduates of that program to receive a degree from Harvard in Afro-American studies. He went on to be the first commissioner of African-American affairs for the state of Washington, the youngest and first black, president of the Seattle Public School Board. Just so many things that he was the first at. He gave me the courage to be a pioneer, to be open to talking to people about new and difficult things, to approach issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion with no judgment Mm -hmm. and with an open heart. Those are some of the bigger, biggest lessons I've learned from him. And education is a place where you can practice those skills all the time. And they are skills too practiced for all of us. Did he get to read the book? He did not get to read the book. So I can tell you that right now he would be my biggest fan. After my mom she, she might be number one, but he would be my biggest cheerleader. Definitely seeing me become a writer would have been his live stream. Do you feel like those are big shoes to fill? Like Oh, for sure. Like- yes. And he had big shoes to fill because he went on to become an administrator at Lakeside. And the people and the things and the lessons that he touched and passed on through his life and work there, they had big shoes to fill after him, but they're doing it. hmm Because they had the courage to step into those shoes and give it a shot. So, yeah, I think writing about race, being willing to talk to Allie and share this book and where race is a factor in the story takes some courage. You have to be ready for someone's criticism that may not enjoy this type of duo or agree with what our story is. Mm -hmm. But I know it's a genuine one. And I know that we both approach it with the most positive of intentions and the hope to learn something or to teach something in our encounters. We connect with people through it.
2: I mean, it's so crazy that people could object to two people. I mean, isn't that the whole point? It's-
3: hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast.
2: That so, like it's not supposed to be about what we look like or where we're from, and that' it's supposed to be about things like our shared sense of humor mm-hmm. and humanity that like I, I don't know. I feel like the con- I don't I don't want to get off on this. But <laughs> I just feel like people have so overcorrected in the wrong way mm-hmm. and to be critical is something just so simple and elemental to human nature for anyway, yeah I think I think,
0: you know, think that's great I think like
2: it's great, but it would be great no matter what. Races you were, what? As long as you have the same. Writing is that, you know, writing style in the same, I don't know.
0: I think you like, share it in your heart. Yes, of course. It's not you about, share it in your heart. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're singing to the choir. We know. Okay, we then. know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will get off of that whole thing then. <laughs>
2: um, you know, the funny thing about this book, it, first of all, the admissions part itself, which is hilarious, but not the whole book, right? It's not a whole book about it. it's about It's a really kind of delicate relationship story as well, and I really appreciated that. But the admission stuff was so funny, especially in the beginning with the rescheduling and all of that stuff. And I was at dinner last night with some friends who have someone applying to kindergarten. And, and actually my son, my littlest guy is going to kindergarten. Anyway, at the time you feel like it's so important. Like Mm -hmm. with my big kids, where your kid goes to school feels like the biggest deal ever that you're determining what's going to happen with their entire lives and livelihood and your everything. It's like the most pressure ever. And, like, my kids have all changed schools. Like, it's not that—like, you can always change your mind. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's one of the things I've learned. I don't know about the two of you, but, like, as I've gotten older, it's, like, especially with the school thing, all that pressure. It's, like, you can change schools if it's not right. It's, like, not that
0: big a deal. Yeah. Right? I mean— Absolutely. I um, You know, as a a person that's gone to both public and private schools— My parents gave me the privilege. I have great parents who encouraged me to go where it was best for me. Mm -hmm. They had three kids. Each of us went to different schools. They helped us choose the place that was good for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were in charge, and they helped us. You know, they made those decisions. Some of them you have to pay for. Some of them are too far for the family. You know, it doesn't work for everyone, but you have to parent and teach the child that's in front of you mm-hmm. and not the one you imagine that they may be someday. Yep. so It's true. so much more yep. important to find a place where they're happy right now, yep. where they feel successful right now, because that's the bigger impact on mm-hmm. their future. Yeah.
1: And I think to that <laughs> the parents lose the idea at these piv- really pivotal moments, whether it's going into kindergarten or it's going into high school or it's applying to College, or you know, it's the first heartbreak, or whatnot. That that parenting and life is fluid, mm-hmm. and that if something's going well, something else is dropping off the cliff. And we've ha- now have this undue pressure on children that everything has to be an uphill trajectory. That we're going to get you into potentially the perfect school for you, and then from that moment forward. It is going to be, you know, your math takes off and your reading takes off and your social life takes off and your sports take off. And that's so much pressure on a child when every human in the world, life does not work like that. Right now, Asha and I are having a great time focusing on, you know, talking about tiny imperfections and working on other things. But at home, my house is falling apart. (laughs) Things are breaking down. The state of dinner time is not pretty. And, you know, so I have professionally, it's going on great, but at home, it's a little raggedy. But we don't allow that for children anymore. And that is an unfair pressure to put on a child an unfair pressure to put on schools. And so the need to be fluid and to see, you know, this might be the right school for now, it might be the right school for three years for 10 years, who knows. But that the idea that you know, we're going to get them in the right kindergarten and then it's going to be good for the next 12 yeah. years is just, you know, it's a fallacy. It's not really reality. Chris,
2: I wonder if I was listening to this conversation back when I didn't have any kids in school, if I'd be like, easy for you to say, you already have all your kids in school. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Because
2: it's easier with our point of view now, but
0: I don't know. Uh, I guess I can hear my dad saying in the back of my mind, well, every kid is in school. There's a local public school somewhere near you. Mm -hmm. No one is going to be left out of kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. And and in
1: every school, there will be teachers that love your child at every school. I hope so.
2: Yeah. I also really enjoyed the part about Golden Boy in your book. And actually, I've I've been working on this novel myself for a long time called 40 Love about falling in love again at 40 because I'm divorced and remarried. And I had called the main guy Golden Boy oh, in my book. Funny. So when I read yours, I literally like went into my manuscript and I was like, find replace <laughs> for all oh, no. of the Golden Boy. I was like, I was like, I, I'm just going to call him by his actual name that I had already <laughs> given him. And I was anyway. So I was thinking of you as I went through that. But it was also really interesting that whole. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, so maybe yeah. we shouldn't talk
1: about it. But well, that whole. Can I jump here? Yeah. So the, so that was really humorous and interesting trajectory us writing about the romance or the relationship part of Josie for two reasons one is that we did really want the book to focus on a woman profession first Mm -hmm. romance second so many even in this time where women are out doing incredible things so many of the lighter reads or women's fiction or rom-com lead with the romance and then who she is after that Mm -hmm. is secondary and so it was so super important for us to lead with her professional success and her ability to get herself where she is on her own. But then when we turned it into our editor and she gave us great feedback and we needed to puff up the romance part, then, I mean, Asha married her boyfriend from freshman year in college. And I got married <laughs> later, but now I've been married for a while. And we had a lot of struggles. Like, okay, what was it like at the (laughs) beginning of a relationship when, you know, the sexy thing wasn't unloading the dishwasher. The sexy (laughs) thing was actually something sexy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so... I mean, one of my greatest memories is we had to redo this one scene. The kissing scene. uh, Yeah, the kissing (laughs) scene. And we were actually, like, sitting on bed in a hotel room together eating tortilla chips. We're like, okay, so what was it like? Like, (laughs) let's think back to those heated times. So it was very humorous, us trying to get back in that headspace of that initial desire and, and want for love. Because we are a couple of... Two old married ladies? Is that what you want to say? kind of. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. So it was fun and it was hilarious, actually, to do that part.
2: Gosh. So aside from wanting to turn this into a multi-book series, what's coming next for you guys? You have the tour. Like, tell me what's on the horizon.
0: Well, we just finished a visit with the American Library Association Conference in Philadelphia, which was great. We were on a panel of debut authors there. and so warmly welcomed by all the staff at that conference. And we're always writing. We're working on book two, we hope, Mm -hmm. and we have an idea for where the borderline family is going. But we also have a secondary story that we have in mind completely away from the Bordelones. Maybe they might kiss each other. You know, the, the stories may yep. meld just a little bit somewhere along the way. Like when one of the characters comes on a sitcom? Like yeah, Silver Spoons? And then yes, and, them, and then they, they like, have a spin-off. Yeah, right yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But I think that our goal is to continue to write this type of, of book. It's something that we both love to read. And most advice we've gotten, you know, when you hear about becoming a writer, is write what you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have enjoyed writing this style and this type of story so much. I think we'll return to it.
1: And I would add, I, add it. We, we can Go we ahead. can share our good stuff. So sure. yeah, um, share yeah, the good stuff. stuff. Yeah, exactly. I know it. <laughs> so we have been optioned for TV, Excellent. film, which Very is great. Exciting. That was super exciting. But I will—so we have a lot of exciting stuff on the writing front and with, hopefully, television and film. But for us, and you attended to this earlier, we really want to be able to go out and talk to people about how to be in conversation with someone who may look different than you. But when you have really real conversations and you do something hard together, like write a book— You find your commonalities, you find the humanity in one another. And that, unfortunately, it does feel like we're in a time and a space in our country where we're saying we all need to understand and know each other better. But the minute you do something inelegant, but from a good place... Mm You're slapped so hard that who wants to go out there and then ever connect again? Mm -hmm. And so in this era of like, we all need to connect, we're actually being polarized Mm -hmm. back into our own very similar communities because our hands get slapped too fast. And Asha and I really want to be able to go out and talk to people about how to do hard work together. We've both had super inelegant moments with each other down to when this idea for this book actually came to me on a bus going to the airport in Boise, Idaho. I got to Boise and I get a little overly enthusiastic and I called Asha right away because I finally had cell cell service and I was like, oh my God, do you want to meet for coffee and talk about race and writing? And I'm like, "Eh, I probably could have put that a little better. (laughs) But it was an excitement to share an idea with my friend Asha who is different and similar to me at the same time and Asha was like let's do it and now 20 months later here we are and you know what a shame if I hadn't been so enthusiastic what a shame if Asha hadn't been so open of heart Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't be here sitting talking to you so I think in the grand scheme of like our writing our books of there's anything with television and film. Our greatest hope is to be able to share our experience together as co authors and as professionals working together. I think at the end of the day, that would be the most fun for us.
2: Any advice to aspiring authors?
1: Oh, goodness. I would
0: say read, read, read. I would say that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then write it down, just write everything. Mm-hmm. Figure out if you can put it together and share it with your friends, share it with someone you trust, be open to honest criticism and be ready for a lot of criticism Mm -hmm. and know that it's okay. That's that's how we grow is Mm -hmm. to figure out where our flaws are, either in ourselves or our writing or whatever else we do. But take those lessons as an opportunity for you to become that person you're looking to become. If no one criticizes your writing and just tells you it's great, well, wait till you put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> because the public will tell you. Yeah. So I would say, write, just start mm-hmm. to begin. I always wanted to write and I wrote short stories and I wrote for myself. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, that satisfied the writing part of who I was to write for myself. When Allie invited me on this project, I was like, gosh. This is my chance. I'm going to actually do it. Jumped in with both feet, gave
1: it a shot. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And mine would be, we are definitely, the the American culture is definitely a culture of, you know, the salesman culture. Like, talk, 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 talk. And we don't always honor the observer of life. And I would say my advice is be an observer. Mm -hmm. Take two steps back off your own precipice and wherever you are, when you're in conversation with other people, if you're at a gathering, if you're in a train station, there are just a ton of people around, just be an observer of life because that will ultimately give you so much juice for your book. And it's also a beautiful way to walk through the world. So... I would just say, don't don't be fearful of being the quieter person. Don't be fearful of the observant person because it will just make your writing better. I would say that one last thing is my dad would say,
0: connecting with people, and that's ultimately, as Ali was saying, you know, our, our true goal. The one thing I watched him do with such grace and amazing ability is, He would learn where a person was from, what their cultural background was, by asking them to self-identify. And then he would learn from them how to say hello in their language, how to compliment a woman in their language, and how to say something naughty in their language. And those three things make people laugh, make people listen, look at you, and offer an opportunity to connect. Wow. So get out there and meet people. He sounds like a super special guy. Oh, he I'm definitely sorry. was. I didn't get
2: a chance to meet him.
1: I wish you, we would have loved, him. Him. <laughs> everyone loved <laughs> him. Everyone <laughs> loves <laughs> him. Every, Every, I, I can everyone. tell. I can yeah. Tell yeah. What you're saying. Yeah.
2: So, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for your great book. So best of luck and everything.
0: Thank, thank you Zibby. so much.
2: You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks to our sponsor, Start Small, Think Big, helping communities thrive one entrepreneur at a time. You can shop all their businesses and support so many small businesses during this really difficult time uh, due to the coronavirus. So please go check them out, startsmallthinkbig.org. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.